welcome. This is Why Life Is. I'm Niles McFlower. Uh, we have a really interesting show tonight. Uh, I've been trying to get this show done for, I don't know, five, six weeks or something like that. Something has come up. Uh, usually there's some issue happening that either I'm involved in or someone else, or in some cases there's been, uh, in the earlier times, there was some broadcast issues. But we, we now can, I think, proceed with tonight's show which is the phase of God as the second part of its thought and mind as it changes sub and full dimensionally. Holy cow, how many words is that? That might be a record for how long a title has been. I try to make these titles as as short as possible. I realize that sounds ridiculous, what I just said. But the reason for the title is to let people understand what the show is about, of course. And tonight's show, as you might guess, is uh, fairly complex. It's complex because we're talking about how a being in its thought and in its expression in that thought is creating a universe that is independent of the control of the thought that we're talking about. Now, that's a little bit hard for us to understand because we always think that thought doesn't do anything, so we can think anything we want. Uh, And then we also believe that we can say or do anything almost because, well, that's not a big deal anyway. But in reality, everything is connected. And how we function has an effect on things and amazingly how we think. That's much more troubling if you think about it, because it implies a higher level of responsibility on the part of all people who think, or anything, any creature that thinks, uh, and any any creature that uh, thinks independent of any other direct source. That's a human being and above. So animals think a little bit. You know what they do? Come on, they've got some thought. But their thought is connected and somewhat controlled by their soul, because they share a soul together. But it isn't true for human beings. We have our own soul that has a uh, even a, we'll say, freedom-loving aspect to it. So it, we, as the life form connected, can choose to think completely independent of our soul. That's what we choose to do. And the soul is the closest resource we have to God. There's a part of the soul that is always, this is, you're going to love this, always in phase with God's thought as it exists in its totality in the seventh dimension where we exist. So part of us is always doing that. Hey, how come we aren't doing so well then? Because we don't listen to this part too much. The first part of that being is our conscience. So if you have a conscience, and not everybody has theirs turned on, but if you have a conscience and it, that you listen to, meaning you turn it on, uh, then you have connection. And most people do, but, but there's, a, there's a few people we consider them abnormal in our society who don't. But at any rate, since this is the way we function, it's incredible that we make it anywhere because uh, we have a happen chance about our own choosing, at least, of uh, how many people actually are 
concerned about the thought of God as it is represented in this dimensional uh, space. And it's unfortunate that we can't, we'll say, at the present time, gain a good grasp of this idea. That's not to say you can't by listening to tonight's show. You will, I hope. But it is still a little unnerving to have to have something so evasive and yet so critically important. Okay, I'm going to talk a little bit, a little bit about physics now. And uh, that shouldn't frighten you because I'm going to try to explain it in ways that might make some sense. Okay. So what the heck is this business with phase? Phase sounds like something out of a Star Trek movie. Oh, it's out of phase. You know? uh, and believe it or not, actually, those movies are sometimes fairly accurate. Or the show, if you've watched any of the series of shows. The, the interesting thing about it is that phase has been part of the vernacular in terms of science for a very long time. Phase goes back to Newtonian era physics, like the night as like the 17th century and stuff. I mean, it, you know, and uh, it gets into stuff that's really far, far, far back in time. But you have to ask yourself some questions that uh, kind of beg themselves to be answered, and that is, how does this work out to be part of a mind of a being, and what does that mean? in connection to a scientific viewpoint. Phase tells us the angle of relationship to direction. Okay. Well, and it gives us an idea of what that direction is as it pertains to time-space. Now, a lot of people say, oh, time-space, that's that stuff that they talk about, you know, and Time-space is literally the same thing, but we think of them as differently because we have separated time and space to such a radical level by our thinking and sometimes by our notoriously bad actions. So the result is that we don't really get that concept very well. And there are seven subparts. That's why I said sub-dimensional in the title to begin with. There are seven subparts to every dimension, and each one of those subparts are controlled to some extent by the beings that live there, and even more so by human beings, and to a lesser extent uh, by beings that are, we'll call them real extensions of God's thought. The problem is those beings only function from the top or the highest level, the completed level, of any subdimension. And uh, they back off once humans get involved uh, because they are not here to demand that we think like them. As a matter of fact, just the opposite, because they're part of God's thought. We call them many times lords of rays, ray lords, and they're assisted by their beings like these things called Kamaras and stuff. But the important thing is that they are they are more non-expressive than expressive as far as we're concerned, because we mostly live in the fifth subdimension, where their thought has very little effect on ours. And that's so that we can learn to think in higher and better ways. 
Planning is a huge part of those better ways. And what is planning? Planning is the direction of thought. Because it encapsulates, it closes in and limits a field of thought and allows that field to become some semi-expressive and permanent in comparison to if it didn't have any direction to it. If it was directionless, then any field of thought in itself would become instantly changeable and have no real uh, existence in time or space. And it would simply be be lacking in its expression. Where does this express itself in terms of like particle physics and that kind of stuff? Well, it's because of the examination of particles, these little things in physics in comparison to phase that there's been great discovery, some of it misinterpreted and misunderstood. But the most critical thing is it has brought about in science some element of the acceptance of the idea of phase differences, at least in the expression of particles as they move through time space. And it's been discovered that if you go just a little bit outside of where we are, we're in the fifth subworld, if you go to the fourth, a little bit higher, a little bit closer to that great being that is controlling the whole dimension to some extent, but not where we are, okay? We we supersede its thought. But if you look at how this works, uh, these particles are a, a, in relationship, are attempting to get closer to their creator's thought because they're a sub plane away from where we think. And that causes them to do things that we can't readily explain. A lot of them go backwards in time. Some of them live in the future of time. (laughs) How do you like that? And that confuses the heck out of uh, the physics. Physicists know this is true. But it confuses the heck out of uh, those same scientists because they can't understand why it's like that. And they don't realize they're examining uh, the the slightest particles in uh, an altered time space from where we are. And granted, it isn't a giant jump. The fourth to the fifth is still relatively small, but it's now within our grasp. Why is it in, within our grasp? Our thought has improved. I know a lot of people say, oh, it's hard to believe we were really thinking better today. But all you have to do is look at the results. Sometimes the best way to determine how well a thought is working is look at the field it's working in. The field that we work in is this planet. That's about the best description of the largest field we're presently working in. We're familiar with some other planets all over all over the we'll call it subdimension that we think is all that there is. However, we really don't operate there. We can't, uh, we haven't even yet gotten beyond the moon in terms of our ability to express our thinking at the moment. You could say, yeah, well, we could send messages to those rovers on Mars, and after 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. Yeah, but that's not instant. And by the time you do that, uh, it's not in the same time spectrum. So we're not quite 
even much further than the moon, and the moon is still a three-second delay at, the, at our present operational speed. So it's kind of slow, to say the least. But we do manage to do some things that are pretty incredible in the present day. And there's great hope for the future if you look at what I'm talking about. As a matter of fact, outer space travel will force us to start looking at higher subdimensions of thought because we could travel at speeds and we could change subdimensions if we know how to do it and actually move faster than what we consider to be the present speed of light. Why is that? Because we don't aren't capable of measuring the present speed of light accurately from our, we'll call it, more selfish position. Our senses aren't working well enough to understand that, and we don't know it. We just assume that light is what we tend to measure from where we are at the present moment. What happens? How come the speed of light goes way faster as you move up in subdimensions? Well, what happens is that space and time are joining closer together. And what we perceive as the speed of light is really a much slower speed by well over two times than the real speed of light, which is part of the thought and is the thought of, of, our, great, of our creator, but it's part because a sub-being is really running the show, we'll call it, because God wants to separate itself. It doesn't want to be in control because if it controls, there there is no growth. The growth is simply its own thoughts controlling everything, and that's not what its intention is. So we have to face the unfortunate concept that there are parts even of the dimension that we are in that we don't know about. As a matter of fact, in theory, the fifth subworld, where these particles are running around, and the light they emit there is different than the light they emit here. How do you know that? Well, because the light comes from them, <laughs> or vice versa, depending upon how you want to look at it. And so when a, I'll give you an example, when an electron changes where its position is in an atom and it moves further out, it's actually uh, it's actually changing its time space when it does that, and it emits a photon, which is an expression of light, and it shows that the light or thought is in a different position from where we are, and that position is a time space model. And you can say, oh, that's really complicated. Yeah, it is if you're not into science, but actually it's very rudimentary. Uh, that was discovered a long time ago. We're talking way, way over a century ago that was discovered. So, you, so interestingly enough, this this has been known about, but nobody has really thought about what its implication is. <laughs> okay, photons are admitted. You can say, well, didn't Einstein write about that in 1905? Yeah, he wrote about it. Did he fully understand it? Not really, because the implications of it were so extreme that it was hard to comprehend what it really meant. Others tried to understand it better, but, you know, it took a while for science to get into field physics uh, and get away from mechanical physics. And so once you get away from mechanics, which is really more of an engineering issue, and you move into real science, I call it real science because that's really different than engineering, 
it's into physics itself. How are things working? What causes them to do what they do? Well, if thought is controlling <laughs> the direction of any field, then thought becomes a hugely important element. And it's been ignored by even people who claim to be physicists going all the way up to right as I'm speaking. So, but not all. And it's become more and more of the physicists of today are beginning to get there because their models of the past don't work. And they don't work because of the time-space problem. Almost always that's what happens. But also they can't explain effects in time-space. And so they have to make up things like, oh, well, it's all dark matter. It's dark energy, too. And they can't prove it. And when they try to prove it, their models fall apart because they don't include what I'm talking about this evening. So we come to this really natural and almost, we'll say, fascinating subject that the study of what called extra dimensional, even though it's subdimensional physics, is going to lead us to an understanding of God. And that's true. The next step is to get beyond the fifth subworld, that's one of, I mean the fourth subworld, that's one above the fifth, where we are, and to move away from just all the subatomic particles and the weird things they're doing, and to get maybe to the, what is known as the super etheric or a higher subdimension. And it's the first one where some of the physics that I'm talking about can be more readily experimented with and discovered. How do you do that? Where can you find models of that happening? Well, we're doing it right as I speak. The very first experiments are being made about the very subject we're talking about, but they don't even know that's what they're doing. But it's okay. I don't care if they know. They'll find out, as they say, uh, around our star, the sun. It's in its corona that the sun has, has parts of itself believe it or not, that are above this fifth subworld into the, I mean, above the fourth subworld into the third. And when you get to that third subworld, the super theory, you're going to start seeing some of the physics change, and that's going to throw everybody on their ear. As a matter of fact, they've already come up with that idea. And there's going to be changes in a lot of what we know of science. It's going to take another couple of years. But this is a good time to be talking about this because, believe me, it is coming. Because they're doing, finally, an experiment that will reveal it. Now, the results of experiments take anywhere from 5, 10, 20 years sometimes in science to be accepted and worked out. So not every scientist, every physicist particularly, or every astrophysicist very particularly, is going to accept the results. But they'll be nonetheless there. And elements will be found. Now, you can say, well, funny thing, elements? Yeah, right. there's a periodic table that tells you where they're all at. No, it doesn't. It tells you where things are at where we are in the, in the, in the fifth subdimension. In the fourth, there's, there are different elements and more. And particularly when you get to the super etheric, there are some very different elements. At, with numbers that are strange even by any standard. And that behave in ways that are closer 
to the thought of how God's mind works. There's much to be discovered in it. Again, I'll mention Star Trek because they actually had that idea. They included some of the idea of these elements, but nobody had an idea. <laughs> they didn't know where they could find them. They thought, well, we've got an interesting one find them anyway. What would happen if they could do this? And so they did. And then they decided to find out how those elements might respond under certain circumstances. And that's how they invented a good part of the science in their program. Science fiction is not necessarily fictional. It's sometimes more future-oriented than we think. Uh, and it doesn't mean that they had the math or worked out or they understood exactly what I'm talking about. But still, it's a, it's, it's a very important way to expand our consciousness. And what the heck is that mean? Does that mean? Well, it means that consciousness and the direction of a field's thought are what in the same. As we become more directed into higher parts of the dimension we live in, which again is the lowest dimension in this universe, uh, as we move though into the higher subdimensions, our consciousness is what leads us to be able to understand. You have to expand your own consciousness in order to understand the science. Very interesting stuff. And it, it leads to an amazing conclusion by the time you get to the highest level where we exist in, in dimensionality while we're physically alive. And that's when you start realizing that we're not just on a journey of knowledge. Knowledge is interesting it's an expansion of our own consciousness to interpret, recognize, understand all the things we can talk about of, of the knowledge itself. So the knowledge isn't like evaporated or hidden away, something like that. The knowledge is always there, but our consciousness is unable to understand it. Because our consciousness is out of phase out of phase with that subdimension. If your consciousness rests almost solely in the in the fifth subdimension where we live, and a few people are kind of understanding a little bit about the fourth, but not complete, then you're stuck. You're really stuck at a lower level of consciousness. So your understanding of the field that you exist in is lacking, and certainly any higher fields is even more severely hampered. You see how this is all interconnected, and you, you know, and consciousness is love. It's the lower part of God's, we'll call it, mind, and well, not the lower. It's the mid part, but it's the lower part of God's thought. That's a better way of saying. And it's the mid part of its mind. It's the it's the center of its mind in a sense, because that is sense. And it is the lower part of its thinking. The higher part of its thinking is creation, and will, and purpose, all the things that uh, that are associated with that word. But the second part, consciousness, limits fields. So you can think of a lot of stuff, but you won't. You won't have an understanding of the thought that you have until you limit the field 
and that joins together the ability for your thought to connect to your own, more of your own and that of others. That's what consciousness does. Consciousness allows us to be able to give to others, to understand others, to understand the universe, understand ourselves. And it allows us to create a field that is survivable through time and space. If you eliminate consciousness, it has no connection to a continuation of the time-space model. And the result is any thought you have, any part of a thought you have, disappears as fast as it comes into existence. It becomes futile to try to think in that way because there is no permanence. There's not even a slightness of permanence to what you're thinking about, and it doesn't connect with any other thoughts you've had or anybody else's. So it's like having, oh, well, there's another one that flew by. There's another one that flew by. What good is that? Does that do you any good? No. If you want to do some good about this, you got to do it in ways that controls the field of thought itself. And in the field of thought, remember, is composed of two things. It's composed of creation, things of a purpose, things that have, we'll we'll say, is uh, willful if it's consistent purpose, but it has no no way to keep itself going unless it has consciousness. And it can't connect to other people's thought if you don't have consciousness. Some people are very willful, but they're very subconscious in their thinking. And the result is that they can't interact well with other people. They have, they're contentious. They may be negative. They may be hostile. They may be evil. Evil practices not losing consciousness, it thinks, while it gains in will. It says, well, I'm going to keep the consciousness I have because I know what this guy's talking about is true, as you see. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure that I have vast amounts more will and a lot more power. So I'll use the will with the power and I'll control everything around me and I'll make it do what I want that way, by force. But at the same time, I don't need to grow my consciousness. I'll just keep it like where it's supposed to be, just enough so that I can maintain memory and control, etc., of my of the field of thought that I exist within. It doesn't work like that, by the way. In reality, even though they apply their will to doing this, no matter how willful they are, you can't keep consciousness at the same level as you who are destructive to other people's thought and as you eventually bend their thought to become slaves of yours. So the slow, very, very slow diminishment of consciousness takes place no matter how careful you are with trying to manage that particular system. The ultimate end is that the consciousness falls too low to contain the field of thought that keeps the being from suddenly losing the ability to be what it has been with semi-human, and it has to lose its life and become something that's controlled by another part of life, which is a group soul, 
can go back in time and space to an earlier existence for all life. It's peculiar to the particular planet they're on, but it's still just a decrease in going back in time in, in life development. And that's what they end up doing. Sometimes they don't even become a life form that is any longer in existence. It has actually happened that they can become something that doesn't even exist any longer. But did it one time on that particular planet. That's what evil does. Pretty amazing stuff. I find all these explanations about consciousness to be amazingly revealing of what God did. It gives us more than just a clue. It gives us almost a roadmap for understanding God better because that's what it is, is understanding. And the more you contain or have consciousness, the closer you become to your creator, even though it might be a subpart of that creator called a ray lord, a being that just controls part of the dimension or actually the whole dimension. It, it is a part because it's, it's, it's a dimension around like a, a world like ours. There are much greater ray lords that control much greater space-time factors, but it's not important to know all that stuff. Right now, the important thing is to understand that the more we grow our consciousness, the more we are able to connect to our creator, even if it's to, through sub-beings that are helping out. We, it, we don't have to know this stuff, although it helps, because once you understand it in total, it, it, it builds your consciousness to a new level. And that's critical for it to take place. And in every circumstance, when people do this the way I'm going to be further explaining in the show tonight, there has been nothing but a positive result. So it isn't like, oh, well, what about all the exceptions? There aren't any. The, the real interesting thing is uh, I'm kind of a history buff as well as all the stuff I talk about with sciences. And in all of history, if you look back, it's all explicable through this model. And you just don't find those great exclusions that should be there, right, if it's just a cap and chance thing. You find a consistency, an amazing consistency in what I'm explaining tonight. And that's a good thing, actually in my opinion. So, uh, where does this lead us for our future? How does it affect us today? What are the things that we should be concerned about in trying to develop higher consciousness? Where is this dimensional thing that's so critical called phase, and how do we change that if we want to gain better understanding in a scientific way and in a way about our living in expression of it. The most important element is to test what I'm explaining, especially tonight. Uh, if you want, you can get, you know, like said, meaning the book, uh, textbook I wrote, and you can go through that and experiment. That's a really good book for that, except it's pretty darn big and hard, but it's also it's also more accurate than anything I know of, but maybe there is some more, but I just don't know about it. And so it allows a person 
or even a group of people, to be able to perform experiments in the world of realism to prove or disprove exactly what I'm explaining. That's a really good thing, because why do we want that? Well, it's fairly important from the standpoint that we cannot we cannot proceed until we have uh, our own line of experience to give us thorough understanding using our senses, and we're having our senses work in ways so they're whole, so we can investigate. Now, a lot of people have damaged their senses, and that makes it more difficult in this situation, so they have to, uh, we call it discipline, I call it discipline, you have to make some changes in yourself just so you get the the senses working well enough, which is the more, we'll call it, third part of God, which is activity part, so that our activities follow suit with what we're trying to do in our consciousness. As we explore that, we get to see the entire model put together. So I not say we can only do this sitting in a room meditating. I know a lot of people think they can do it that way, but it won't work because you don't have direct feedback to a time-space issue. And even if you could think of it correctly, it wouldn't matter because it might change, and it does, over time. So we have to work out uh, circumstances using our senses as well. That's a critical element that most people don't like to hear because that means, well, I've got to do something. I can't just sit around and think about it. I can't think about it. I can't just read about it. That's the point. Yes, you can't fully discover what I'm teaching tonight unless you're willing to go to that more difficult length of improving your senses and using them to explore the consciousness model so that you can sense when the model is showing you that it works, or if it doesn't. Which we could say, it may not because your senses aren't working properly, but if you can prove to yourself the senses are working properly, and there are, I'm going to explain those, there are ways to do that, then you have a control mechanism. You have a way of determining if what is taking place is really what you think is taking place, because thought alone does not guarantee that that's a true statement. Only involving the intelligent interactions will work. Now, if they're unintelligent, you can have lots of interactions that are plenty unintelligent. That's usually an ignoring of time space. What does that mean? Well, almost, I would say, 99% of what we call mistaken activities are the disregard for the time-space issues that people have going on around themselves. So if someone says, well, okay, I'll worry about time and space later. <laughs> you know, I'll get to it next year. <laughs> I'll just think about it now. Or I'll just, uh, I'll just explore being, keeping my understanding. That's what the dark side tries to do, right? But I'm not going to be worried about my intelligence or lack of intelligence in my interactions. Now, how do you know that your actions aren't intelligent or aren't intelligent? By the measure of force. 
ah, now we have a direct thing that's even available to us in physics called force. The higher the level of force that you create for others particularly, but it could be for yourself as well in your own life, the greater the amount of unintelligent activity, which we call just forces. And as you create that, and usually it's for other people, by the way, uh, you do it for yourself too, but because of the time model display uh, delay, every time you create forces for other people, you're delayed before you notice it for yourself. We call that karma. But the point is we delay it for ourselves, but for others we're creating forces. If we create forces for other people, then the result is, ooh, ipso facto, I might be very conscious. That's what you know. Consciousness is declined by the creation of force for us, particularly others. Yes, you'll notice it eventually, but it could be your next life. <laughs> That's not a good deal. No. Uh, you could delay. You could delay it by trying to avoid it. And, you know, you could say, well, I, I'll cheat, you know. But you can't cheat very long. I mean, a few lifetimes didn't really come start coming back on you. Uh, all right. But let's say that you're very willing. You're a willing participant. You say, I'm going to accept responsibility for all the forces that I create, particularly those against other people. So if I make put forces in other people's lives by whatever I do, then I'm responsible for that. And that's lowering my consciousness. It may also be interfering with theirs. And it's a, it's a, it's a crushing blow to your ability to stay conscious. Crushing blow, but also to theirs first, possibly if you're doing it with other people. So this is a really fascinating way of examining this thing. So we have feedback. We got a way of getting feedback, but the only way you can do it is not by sitting in your closet and thinking or reading or whatever. You got to get out and do things, and when you do the things, you got to make sure you create no forces, particularly for others first. If you're going to create any forces, you are, besides being a no good Nick, maybe, uh, you're, cre you're creating this model of loss of consciousness, and it is deadly in terms of life expectancy. It reduces your ability to stay alive, just as it does for evil beings. You say, well, but evil beings can live for thousands of years. You've taught that before. Well, that's true, because they go so far into creating forces that they build up what is known as a crystalline structure to the, to the energy that they use, and they crystallize their own senses in their own bodies. So for very long periods of time, they can build up enormous forces, but they use that force to keep getting more energy from others. They don't make any energy themselves, really. They just take it from others, creating a lot of force for those. But their consciousness, even though they do all kinds of tricks, still is diminished, just slower than what you would like. But it takes long periods of time, but eventually they just crack. Suddenly, within a few seconds, they're bye-bye. And then they're going back to becoming something else. Fascinating stuff. All right, so we have a feedback mechanism. We can use this feedback mechanism to help in service to everything that's around us. We can live our lives as what I call spiritual discipline, 
And if you're spiritually disciplined, you're more concerned about others' forces that you help to create than your own, for your own self. If you're not spiritual, you do the reverse. And then that's a bad thing. Because what happens is there's no such thing. You can't really do that for yourself without creating very bad karma. And it is destructive to your senses. And it is destructive to your body over time. And you won't gain in consciousness. Your consciousness is you know, not going to go anywhere if you keep keep doing it. So you got to change that viewpoint. you got to look at it from the perspective we're all part of a one. Now, a lot of people get squeamish when I say things like that. They say, well, I don't want to be part of a one. I want to be me. I want to be free. Well, believe it or not, it's hard for us to understand this. But we're not just growing ourselves. We're growing all of the great beings greater than ourselves and God itself. And and by doing that, we become part of their growth as well. So the idea that we're losing something is completely illusion. That's what that word means. It's an illusion. It gives us the belief of something that is, in many cases, opposite from what we believe and is certainly detrimental. It's detrimental first to others and then over time, sometimes more than one lifetime, ourselves. So that's how it all works. Now, consciousness can be a, a real great ally if you're willing to use it as what it is, which is a, a, a method of loving others, giving to others so that they can do the same. You don't give to others because it's charity and it makes you feel good. You don't give to others because they make you feel bad when you don't. You don't give to others because they're special. They're your parents, your children. No, you give to others because you want to help them to become givers as good or more than you are. If that's how you give, then you're giving right. And this is a a difficult process for us to examine within ourselves. It causes us tremendous, tremendous confusion because we are generally, human beings are, self-centered. What does that mean? Well, self-centeredness is just selfish. We're generally self-centered. And we're centered about what we desire and what we want instead of wanting to become more one with others. As a matter of fact, some people actually disgustingly don't want to do that. Not because they're evil, although they could fall into that, but just because they want to be more, in their mind, unique, special. But what they really are doing, and they don't understand it, because they lack the understanding, is that they are separating themselves And the uniqueness is just in how much they effectively, over a very long period of time, lifetimes, will diminish their consciousness and make themselves both miserable and painfully, uh, we'll say, separated from everything and everybody, because that's what lower consciousness eventually realizes. It's a terrible outcome. And, of course, it also leads eventually to huge numbers of forces, 
all the forces that you create for others will also come back at least three times or more against yourself. So it, it's absolutely nutso to do that. But I would say almost the entire world of humans on this planet are doing that. So we got some real work to be done here on this planet. This planet's particularly uh, a shade of darkness. <laughs> and are there other places that aren't like this? Oh, sure. As a matter of fact, I would say there are huge, huge, huge numbers of places better in that regard than Earth is. But we have to live with where we're at. Our soul came here to try to make better this world. This was no easy choice. But the soul made that choice, not an individual person. People can make that choice while they live in a particular physical lifetime and later in the astral and lower middle. And if they do that, that's how they change. And then they gain memory. Instead of false memory that is karmic, they gain real memory. And they can remember past lives. They can remember what they did wrong. They can remember what they can do better. All that stuff starts working for them. It doesn't mean they're not going to be sometimes falling back. It just means that at least they have this understanding and they keep that. Remember, the understanding must almost always be that you're going to do no harm to others' consciousness. If you foul that and you don't produce forces for this, remember forces I'm talking about are forces that limit consciousness. Sometimes you have to use force against beings that are deadly, destructive, harmful to others, even to you. It's okay to use force in those situations because you're trying to help everybody, even the person you're quote-unquote fighting against. Because in those situations, those people are dark. And they're doing bad things. So you have to use whatever is necessary to quell that problem. But that's the exception. Most of the time, we're not involved in those kinds of things. And so our, our, our most important role is to raise the consciousness of others. And you can only do that by co-participating with them in the long run. Short run, you can lower their forces and help them in what, more personal ways. Gradually, you should try to get them to be more group conscious. And eventually, it is only through group consciousness that they will really achieve major improvements. It's a step-by-step -step process. And even people who claim or act sometimes group conscious don't necessarily continue to do that all the time. But the issue is that in those circumstances, if they're around others, there's ways to, for them to get some feedback, some perspective of what their real relationship is. You can't do that if it's somebody who's just hostile. Those kinds of, of folks are probably not going to be within the perspective of someone who is very conscious to be of much help for them. So in those cases, you may actually impose forces depending upon what their, their deeds are. And you have to make a lot of important judgments and all of that. Now, does, is, uh, I got a, just a minute here, is it possible 
within the system that I have described to get your phase to be consistent, consistent with the close to or exactly to the phase of the, of the sub-dimension you're on and hopefully to the top of the dimension that you can get to in, in the life that you're li living. That is a big deal. How much can people do while they're physically alive, in other words, to reach a level of consciousness that is the consciousness of the sub, uh, not the sub-dimension, the dimension we live in, above the sub-dimension where we have immediate senses. The way to do it is through inner consciousness and then some level of using advanced sense. Advanced sense means that you can go beyond the use of your senses just in the dense part of the dimension and go into these higher aspects, these higher realms. We'll talk more about that when we come back. But I want you to realize that this is real, out there, science stuff, but it ain't fiction. It's real, we'll call it ageless wisdom. And it's kind of the answer that has been proposed for a long, long time. But because we as humans have not been moving very forward in being able to understand where we really are and where we could be functioning from, uh, it leaves us, uh, well, a lot of people do, just don't listen to it. They don't believe it. They think it's nonsense or they don't like it or whatever the story would be. So this is what we're kind of facing. It's the complexity of what we'll call the unusual parts of being where we are. If you go to the astral world after your death, or when you go, the physics changes, and it becomes more obvious of everything I'm saying. And if people even are barely conscious, they start getting a little bit of it from just their world around them. Not so where we are here. This is a, this is, takes a great deal of spiritual discipline. We'll be back, give or take, in about two and a half minutes from right now. Hun, what book are you reading? It's a novel, kind of, about romance, love, and spiritual life in general. Kind of a novel? What do you mean? Well, it's based on some real-life experiences and even real characters. Some of their experiences are fascinating and remarkable. I can't put this book down. How come the title is Afterlife Love? That's part of the fascination. This book describes the afterlife in intricate detail and even explains why things are the way they're explained. But how can anyone write about or know that? Some of the characters travel out of body to some places that people who've already died also go to. I'm finding it completely believable because it all makes sense and fits into a bigger picture for me. Hun, what happens to these people? You can read it for yourself when I'm done if you want. Better yet, I'll get my own copy so we can discuss it while we read. Let me see. I'll write down the title. It's Afterlife Love by Niles McFlower. M-A-C-F-L-O-U-E-R. Afterlife Love is available in some bookstores and from the publisher at agelesswisdom.com or 480-966-3132. That's 480-966-3132. Hi, everyone. Since childhood, I've had questions about my life and life in general that I couldn't find adequate answers to. Questions like, why am I here? Why are others here? Does the universe have a purpose? And how does that relate to my life? More recently, I've been wondering what happens when we die, especially the reasons why. 
I'm more of a doubter than a believer in many things, and answers that include the wise allow me to think and figure out the truth for myself. I've been reading a book, Life's Hidden Meaning. This one book contains more answers, including the wise, than all other sources I've read or heard. It's amazing to me that every one of my questions has been thoroughly answered. More importantly, I have found that all of these answers so far have checked out to be true. I hope this message helps some of you in your quest for better understanding. The name of this wonderful book is, again, Life's Hidden Meaning by metaphysician Niles McFlower. Some bookstores sell it. I got my copy directly from the publisher at agelesswisdom.com. Life's Hidden Meaning may enlighten your mind and bring some peace and joy to your heart. back. This is Why Life Is. I'm Niles McFlower. Uh, tonight, hey, I'm going to read this whole thing. It's a big, long title. Are you ready for this? The phase of God as a second part of its thought and mind as it changes sub and full dimensionality. Dimensionally, I should say. Oh, yeah, what a title. Say it three times. All right. Now, uh, where we stopped was, okay, what are we going to do about this now that we have some basics for this thing? And where is the complexity in the fourth, third, second, and first etheric worlds where the time-space model is more prevalent? We can see and understand it if we were to get our physics all the way to that level. And we can work in those realms if we keep our consciousness high enough so we don't create forces for other people as a first contention and then no forces in our own existence. Uh, and other people is a cr critical element here. Are the Most people think, well, it's how I just deal with my life. If I, my life is easier and better and all this stuff, then I'm doing the right thing. That's actually selfish. And it is the inversion of spiritual discipline, but it could be helped by mundane discipline. So in other words, if you want to discipline yourself for your own benefit, which is called mundane discipline, then you could do that, and you could even slightly increase your consciousness for just the things that you're selfishly found important in your life, but it isn't going to make any difference, if anything, it will increase the forces in other people's lives. So you're not doing what you came here for, and it's not part of God's plan. Nor is it part of the sub-being, the being part of God, that exists to regulate this particular dimension for this planet. And so you can say to yourself, well, wait a second, then what am I doing? Well, you got to do something very different than most people do do. Spiritual di discipline is not for the benefit of you. It's for the benefit of others. And that's so hard for people to understand. And to develop your consciousness past a certain small point, you've got to increase others' consciousness by lowering the forces they experience and not increasing them, as most people tend to do with everybody else they know. And 
also at the same time, at some point, help them directly, if possible, to become more conscious by becoming better givers to others in the way that I just expressed by helping, by they helping other people to become more conscious and reduce forces for others. So you see how it spreads out, paying it forward, you might say. And to get there, in terms of physics understanding, we need to be able to understand what these subdimensional places that we don't necessarily have good sense about at this time uh, are like. First, we can be taught about them. But that doesn't change your understanding in a full method because you can't use your sense to help others as you would have to. But it's a beginning place. So if you educate yourself about these other dimensions, and if you use your thought and creative imagination, everything about your beingness, but especially your mental thinking, to try to find the truth of it, does that really work? Let me see if it works. Let me explore that idea. That's what we need to be doing. And if you're doing it in somewhat scientific fashion, it helps to under, understand also what each subdimension higher than this one is like in terms of the consciousness change. Not just the question of the kind of activities you find there, but the consciousness change is usually and has been almost exclusively unknown except for people who study things like ageless wisdom, which is what I teach, and other kinds, we'll say, of spiritual information. So let's go into that. Let's look at that from a perspective like we're going on a journey to figure out what the differences are. So first place we're going is to the into the fourth astral sub, not astral, uh, etheric subworld that is a kind of unusual place because there's a lot of darkness still there. Even though it's etheric and different from where we are, the darkness was created in past ages, before there were the humans that we're familiar with of today. Earlier kinds of human beings monkeyed around in that part of time space. They were taught by people who came from other worlds. Bad people sometimes. Not bad, bad people. Not, they, they thought they were doing the right thing, but they were teaching knowledge instead of helping to raise consciousness. Not a good thing. And they weren't teaching what I'm teaching. Because what I was teaching, or what I, I could have taught, but I think I was teaching back then too, uh, is that that this is the sort of thing that uh, you can't just give knowledge about. You have to help people to spiritually discipline themselves to stop creating forces in other people's lives. And they taught a very self selfish viewpoint about it, uh, that your first thing is knowledge. <laughs> Get more knowledge. Worry about your consciousness later. More knowledge is always a good, always a good thing. Well, what is knowledge? Knowledge is actually the putting together of enough intelligent activity 
to be able to control things outside of yourself. It's neither good nor bad, but if you have knowledge that you then use to create, that creates forces in other people's lives, that's very bad. And that's exactly what happened. So there was a huge error, a huge error by beings who weren't necessarily evil. They were maybe making things evil, but they came thinking that, well, okay, if you just give them enough knowledge, these uh, relatively archaic people will just be able to find their way, and they'll know. They'll know what's the right thing to do, and then they'll do it. Yeah, that isn't the way it works. And so in understanding the fifth, uh, third, third, fourth subworld of the Etheric world, what happened was that uh, the teachings, since it was knowledge-focused, confuse the students. And the students are just people, everyday people sometimes, but even people who were in classes learning and stuff. And they were mistaught. They were given information that led them to believe that they should be in control of others. Why should they control others? Well, because they had the knowledge <laughs> to determine whether people were doing something right or wrong. And they could use this to semi-force people to do the right thing. And then that would be a very good world indeed. Everybody would be doing exactly what they should be doing. Well, this was kind of the beginning of a socialistic world. But a long time before socialism, as we understand it, was formally created. And it, it, by, by creating a world of power from knowledge, instead of love from consciousness, the world became evil, became very dark, because you were training people to do that. Now, how goofy was that? I mean, is it, uh, like, how could these beings come from another world and not understand that stuff, you know? And the answer is that the world that some of them came from was so antithetical and different from Earth that because they didn't remember a time earlier in their history when they had to resolve this very problem, they went past that time, and they were already, in their minds, uh, straightened out about it, so they wouldn't do that. They wouldn't, they wouldn't create more forces in people's lives just because they had the knowledge to do it they would be very discerning and make sure that it didn't do that. But they didn't enforce consciousness, which is the only thing that prevents that from happening in those that they taught and those that they taught in those that they had interactions with. So the whole thing became very contaminated against consciousness. So love diminished. And as that took place, society diminished. Evil grew leaps and bounds, tremendous amounts. And a whole hierarchy of dark beings came into existence because of this huge error. 
Now you could say, well, when was that? Well, it might surprise you, but it was about 850,000 years ago. Well, nobody was around it. Well, that's not true. But they wiped themselves out so much, and others got rid of what they weren't, didn't wipe out themselves so that it wouldn't replicate itself, that uh, there's little knowledge today about them. You can say, oh, yeah, but I've read the books about Atlanteans, and I have seen stuff. Well, yeah, actually, that's true. There were those beings, but but you don't get the truth in what most of the books say about them. You know, they're fantasies about them. They're not the truth about really what happened, and particularly this part of it, this contamination of consciousness being replaced by knowledge and power, a goofy idea. Okay, so now we start learning a little bit about the fourth etheric world. They used that subworld because they actually gained enough knowledge about it to manipulate some of the energy there to create even monsters. Talk about nutso people. Oh, let's make some monsters. They can protect us from all the bad people that we don't like coming into our land. Are you crazy? Monsters that may turn on you at a moment's notice, that certainly, even if you want to defend yourself, is going to become haphazard and destructive to even your enemies, you're going to create a worldwide havoc. That's exactly what they did. And so the fourth subworld became this goofy place where there was so much darkness that the idea of gaining any real understanding of it after it's been ridiculously bastardized by this corrosive thinking and creations, literally creations, that it, it's a horrible place. And that's what took place. For literally many hundreds of thousands of years, the fourth etheric subworld around Earth was contaminated with huge amounts of darkness. And it brought about some of the greatest evil yet on Earth. So we look at this and we say, holy cow, I didn't know that. Well, did we so, is it so bad that we can't get around it? Well, it's been cleared out by some decisions that were made fairly recently, meaning like 9,000 B.C. before, uh, and to clear it out, it meant destroying a lot of the physical world and some of that fourth etheric world. But when you do that, it creates counter forces, making it long periods of time before humans could establish themselves with civilization and could think somewhat using the fourth etheric world correctly. So we got delayed in even getting to the point we are today about dealing with it. So it was all put back in time. Now, a lot of karma too. The problem, the karma was more on a worldwide scale. And some of it we could, might consider regional, so like a national scale. But that kind of karma is very hard to get rid of. Once you create it, it can take very long periods of time to get it right because you got to fix a whole subworld. 
because the phase the phases are out more out of alignment with the phase of God's representative. And so by by putting yourself so far out of phase, you end up with tremendous amounts of force. And of course you don't want forces. But Earth became an ungodly forceful place. Actually worse after the Atlanteans were gone. It became more forceful to live here. Civilization went right back to the almost the Stone Age, literally. And it was a terrible place to live in. And it remained that way until very recently, and it ain't gone yet. So the point is that's one of our basic problems today. The fourth etheric has got issues. Now, most of the monsters are gone. Hallelujah. Uh, most of the extreme forces have been diminished, except what's left from the evil side. And they keep building it up, so it's hard to get rid of all of it because they will maintain a certain level as long as you're here. But it's considerably better than it was a few hundred years ago. If you go back thousands of years, it's considerably better. But still a problem nonetheless. Okay, so our first concern is just to get dealing with the fourth etheric subworld. The most basic thing where those particles are hanging out, right? Uh, that we're finding in physics. Some of them look like they're going backwards in time, some of them forwards in, uh, in the future. We don't understand. But they they are not the real big issue. The big issue is can we actually conceptually get wrapped around what it is. So this is a big deal. Because in ageless wisdom terms, if you can't understand the etheric subworlds, and particularly the next one, the fourth, from where we are, while you're physically alive, your chances of probably doing much good are much diminished. That's why I'm harping on this. Sometimes from one time to another, I'm doing that because it's a big deal. And that's just the fourth. What about the third, the super etheric? Well, the super etheric, I uh, had some weird kind of plant beings on it for a while and other kinds of crazy stuff. that It actually got into there, there was darkness. But now it's not so bad. Actually, super etheric is not too bad. The only problem is that we don't know how to actually get our consciousness to that level, and we don't know how to get our science to that level at the present time to gain clear knowledge with understanding about this subworld. It is definitely very different from the one below it, which I just described. Why is it so different? Well, probably the best way to do, to gain a, a viewpoint on it or understand it is that it's the first place that humans can go to where they're going to experience right-faced at it, a reality that proves that there's something beyond where we are and that in some ways God must exist. And uh, I'll give you the reasons why that happens in a second, but this is a, this is a critical jump. And it's not, it's not like a little tiny thing. I know everybody says, oh, well, it's just another subdimension, no big deal. No, it, going from the fourth to the third is like 
you're making a major change in your understanding and in your overall consciousness. In order to maintain yourself in any way on a super etheric plane, this is a subplane, to ever to to exist there even for seconds of time, and it's what we would consider to be seconds of time, a person has to be able to focus out probably for well over 24 hours straight while they're etheric physically alive in a fifth dimension. That's quite a task to do. Why do you need such an intense level of higher consciousness where you're focused out for such a long period of time? Most people are focused out for a second or two, you know, a minute or two. A 24-hour period is like, well, how could you do that? Yeah. Well, if you do that and you're consistent about it, you may not be able to have much interaction with anybody who's physically alive unless they're doing the same thing with you because they will interfere with you. They will create forces against you. But if you avoid that and you can work as a group with whoever else you're working around, the group can develop enough to do this together, or a single individual member can if they are high enough in consciousness to achieve the result. And you have to be focused out for close to a, a whole day, 24 hours. Some people have been known to do it in 12 or 18. I'm not going to get into the fine issue of that because there's a lot of differences in who they are, what they do. But if you generally put a day stamp on it, people can get that. And if you can do it, you can actually travel at will, and so as you keep doing it, uh, to the uh, third or super etheric world. Once you get there, you're now in a bridge. What is that bridge? The bridge is between the, the first etheric. I know the second's in between, and I'll get to that. But your bridge is to the first etheric and back to here. It allows you to become so much more conscious while you exist in this state that you are capable of being able to plan out things into, we'll call it weeks, months, maybe a year or longer that shows a reduction in forces and an increase in consciousness for vast numbers of people at the same time. This is no easy thing to do. Now you can say, oh, you wrote about that and all this stuff and you've so talked to, you know, you have stories and like, yeah, yeah, I have. But that that's really not the critical element. The fact that I wrote about it and you can read about it does not change someone actually doing this. And here on Earth, it's a rarity. Why? Because other people interfere with you. They don't want you to do it. <laughs> They're going to create forces in your life to prevent you from doing it. So you have to be able to separate that. And how do you do that? By keeping your focus on what you're here for. And not, not working from the same perspective. If someone is forceful against you, you have every right to stop the force. But that's okay. But you you can't 
start becoming forceful against others just become because you're just like everybody else's. Because that's what everybody else is doing, but you're, you can't do. That's the critical element. Uh, so, and that, that means that you have a right to quote unquote defend yourself, but you don't have a right to create forces for other people unless your forces are to stop them from creating forces. Well, that's a whole other thing. Of course, we do that all the time. We have military for that. We have all kinds of stuff we do for that. We have to do that in this world because the dark side is still operational. But regardless, this is a fascinating thing. Super etheric is the first step out. And you could say, well, okay. So say I got there, what would I find? Well, you would find um, plant beings there. I know, it sounds crazy. But beings that are uh, super etheric, plant beings, are pretty conscious in their own realm. That doesn't mean that if you start messing around with them, you aren't going to get some force back towards you. You will. You have to be careful if you go to these realms. First of all, the luck is that you're going. if you do it wrong, you'll be thrown back to where you are here and you're outside of being harmed. But if you stay there and you can manage to stay there and you start becoming a nuisance to the, the existences that exist there, which are basically parts of plant spirit, higher spirit that we are not familiar with, the results are that you could have them turn on you. And they will become forceful against you. You don't want that. Believe me, you don't want that. Why? Because they can knock the hell out of you. And when you, you'll be pushed back to being in the dense physical world. But when you get here, your consciousness is going to be significantly harmed by the whole process. And it may take a long time to recover from that kind of experience. So going to the super etheric is not without danger. There are significant amounts of potential problems that can and do occur going to these uh, higher realms. So you have to be really, really careful. If something is there that you want to get more knowledge about or get too friendly with, you're going to get a lot of problems. So is it okay to be uh, observant at a distance with no negative or forceful interaction, yes, then you will not be harmed. But if you go there and you say, uh-oh, that thing may come after me, as soon as you think that, you're thinking of yourself rather than it, that could trigger some real bad results. Now you can say, okay, well, what's the physics like then? What's what's going on with this physics? It's some kind of spiritual spirit things that live here and there and all this other stuff. Well. The physics is like this. The quantum constant grows, and so time-space is being put together more, and that means they're joined. And you have a, uh, a unique ability to go places at incredibly uh, rapid speeds in comparison to where we are. Uh, because time-space is being joined together better. So you could be to someplace else, not immediately, but pretty darn fast. Because you're you're getting closer, to, the light speed is going faster, and you're getting closer to unification. Now, 
does that mean that you are some kind of super being because you can be there? You know, like everybody should meditate and try to get there. No, because going there is not the answer. It's serving. And if you can't serve while you're there, you don't deserve to be there. Service is different because service is where you're able to apply everything I'm talking about in tonight's show to help what is there to gain in consciousness rather than to be reduced in consciousness and for its ability to intelligently interact with everything else, including you, yourself, all together at the same time. Now, when you can achieve that, there is a, a we'll say, a reward. The reward is that your own consciousness takes a more settled, higher level. And when you come back from those experiences, you can actually contain them and use them effectively here as well as there. The fourth etheric subworld is very difficult to do that in at the present time because it's only minimally uh, time dilated by only about a third more. And so, you, you, you know, you have, you, you could still sense this world from that position where you can't in the super etheric unless you have really developed yourself amazingly well. But you, because you have to connect together then all your senses and your bodies working your way up to do that. You can't just jump there and do it. So you, there are certain things you can do from the from the fourth etheric world, but it is it, it's somewhat still very badly contaminated and very difficult to stay fully conscious in and not be affected by forces and not create any forces. It's it's a more difficult place, but the super etheric is harder to get to. It definitely is harder to get to. And from the super etheric, you will not be able to, most people will not be able to, unless they've joined your senses, will not be able to uh, experience this realm, the fifth, any longer. You won't be able to see or hear or get any kind of direct information. In order to do that, you have to incorporate the fourth with the third together and they have to be joined in a specific way if you achieve that result yes you can do that then but that's much more advanced and you're going to be doing it more collectively especially with other spiritual spiritually disciplined people if you're in that kind of a group that can do that but it takes a lot to do that it's not so easy and you can't be selfish while you're physically alive no way. If you're if you're going to be creating forces here, you can't do anything. You'll never get there. If you get there, it'll be a second or two, and you're going to be thrown out. Okay. So, what, what what's going on with the quantum constant and this thing that changes time space ratios and you end up with a, a different uh, speed of light, effectively? Well, the quantum constant is becoming greater, of course. And if we make a number, and we call that number one here, it isn't really, but we'll call it one, then it's one and a third, a little over one and a third times more when you get to the etheric. But when you get to the super etheric, you're getting into this 
closer to the one and a half point. And that's a big deal. Uh, you might say, well, what's so big about getting over 50%? Well, that big deal over 50% allows a person to be more consistent in their reduction of force for others. They're more consistent in their love for others. And their field, the field that they existed in consciousness, becomes more consistent. Consistency in love leads to a field of love that doesn't need constant attention to maintain itself. You have to get over the halfway point at 1.5. And if you do, that's when the biggest change happens. So the superetheric is a pretty important place to be able to manage. And you can say, wow, I didn't know it was so important. Yeah, it is pretty important. Now, if you want to go further, you say, wow, let's look at the next one. Where am I going to go from there? All right, then you get to the subatomic. Now, what is a subatomic? It's a second, a second etheric subworld. And it's a, now you're getting into a place where the time-space model is growing even more. Because you were growing by a third and then by almost two-thirds, and now you're getting closer to almost twice, not quite. So, wow, it's it's like 1.9, 1.85 times more. Some people have measured it to be, believe it or not, someone has actually measured it to be 1.77 times. I don't know. I, I haven't measured it. <laughs> but it's in that ballpark, pretty close to those numbers, yes. All right. And you notice how there's some consistency to this thing, too? But the, the subatomic is very different from the superetheric because what happens is the spirit, the spirit that is there, is a spirit that has some degree of connection, not just to us and to other life forms, but to it's more directly connected to the being who is controlling the time space of the seventh dimension itself. And that direct connection, once you get to the subatomic level, gives you connection to group souls. Generally speaking, that's where you're connecting to. And the, the connection to the group soul itself, which is just above, effectively, where they're functioning and growing life forms from, which is the supertheric if they're, if they're plant-based, starts getting into all forms of life that are not human. So now you have a connection to all life, as an example, on Earth, that is other lower by our standards than human. Wow, that's a big deal. Because, uh, I mean, you literally could communicate with the animals through their group souls. You understand what what they're here for. You understand how to organize and help them. So it's a pretty big deal for some people. And it also connects with them in a way which is even more dimensionally complete than the more plant-type spirit that uh, in, involves growing plants themselves. And the process is fairly uh, complicated 
because for human beings, when human beings reach this level, they are they are in communication through group souls with all of animal life. They still can have some connection. By the way, I don't want you to think this is exclusionary with plant life and plant souls. Even. But generally speaking, the connection with plant souls is more, uh, we'll say, distantly controlled. And so you can't really have a conversation with a tree. <laughs> it's not going to work too good. And you may interfere with that tree, tree's soul, in a sense. And sometimes that has very negative ramifications as far as its spirit not seeing you as being friendly. But with when you do, when you get to the animal side of things, it's a fascinating idea that you can really probably have a bearing on reducing the forces of animals. And you could say, well, how can I reduce the forces of animals? Am I going to go out and you know? feed them or something, or I'm going to just pet them, or make sure they have a nice place to live, and here when they're denser, or whatever. No, no, it's not, it's not like that. You're really dealing with the spirit of a whole group type of animals at a time, and it's about not so much a specific creature, as it is about different varieties and groups of creatures. <clears throat> and how they're being sometimes adversely affected while they're physically alive by humans. And you want to try to correct that while their spirit is in the uh, second astral sub-world. And not astral, uh, etheric. I don't know why I keep going to astral. I'm trying to get there. But <laughs> second etheric sub-world. So when we get to this point, we are looking at trying to uh, be a representative of con in consciousness that assists the group souls. So it's really about you helping by solving problems for them. And if you do so while you're actually there, you reduce their forces. And in that process, you may help them to survive. You may help them to uh, defend themselves against uh, the treacheries of other animals, and particularly humans, particularly in other lower dimensional aspects, like here in the physical, where uh, they may be harmed. <clears throat> the process is fascinating, and for some people, very, very enticing. But again, you may also be dealing with... Uh, even some elements of humanity, it's possible. Because, although we don't have group souls, uh, humans still incorporate spirit from the subworlds that animals exist in. And it's partly affecting us when we're forceful in our life while we're physically alive. And so corrections in the second subworld can be felt by human beings other human beings and yourself, of course, in the uh, physical world where we are. I remember these are etheric worlds, not physical. Okay, and finally, let's move to the atomic plane, the, the first plane, which has the atomic level, the very top, where the being that is running the show for Earth is, is helping out, so to speak. He didn't start. <laughs> 
and Nakasaw is really the top of what we would call light. In, in this side, if you're going to be there, you have to be of great spiritual service. In order to go consciously, consciously, I want you to understand the difference. In order to go consciously to the next dimension or higher, which is the astral world or the mental world, to be there consciously, you have to leave through the atomic level of the etheric subworld. That's it. You have to leave from there. You can't just get into the fourth and say, well, if that's good enough for me. I think I'll go to the asteroid. You would fall asleep instantly and you would not You would not be able to keep your consciousness going. In order to leave, you have to keep your consciousness going. In order to keep your consciousness going, you have to be 100% focused out. Uh, give or take, the quantum constant reaches its full stage. It's about 2.2, give or take, fractional lens times and it actually can change if enough people were to function correctly but let's for right now let's assume that it's that's the number for earth and what's going on here okay about 2.2 times and uh that's the level of time dilation i put you way outside of this this time space here so we you can't really connect unless you have unified sense all the way up to that level for all these lower subplanes. But that's how you get to the astral if you want to stay conscious. Very difficult thing to do. How difficult? Oh, my God. You've got to live your life for months at a time, focused out, creating no forces for anybody else around you 24-7, and you've got to do it uh, in sometimes full meditation, going to the different subworlds to get yourself up to the force uh, to the first subworld, all that it has to be, and then you have to reach eventually the atomic level of that subworld, the atomic level, and from there you have to think about where you want to go in the astral world, and that's a whole other complicated thing. So this type of what we call dimensional travel can be done on a conscious level but not by people who are anything other than completely unselfish. You could say, well, now, wait a second. Uh, haven't people gone to, to the astral world without being uh, unselfish? Well, yeah. You can go to the astral, to the lowest parts of the astral world, and you can even maintain consciousness. You still have to get into the first astral, uh, to the first etheric subworld to do it. But you can get there. If you focus on certain senses in a correct order, and if you went in that process of using, it's actually three senses in a certain order, and you, and and if while you're on your journey, you have to hold that you're going there. At least you're before you get there, you have to hold that you're going there only to create light. And you say, well, okay, but that what happens if you get there and you change your mind? Well, that happens often. Some people can get there and they change their mind, but once they get there and they're fully conscious, they don't just instantly leave unless they really want to. They could stay, but they are going to end up with a very forceful experience because they are not focused on unforcefulness on arrival. You got to keep focused on that. If you don't, well, bad things occur. 
because there's always the dark side over there, particularly if you get to the lower astral subworld, very dangerous and bad things can happen to you. But the fascinating thing about this is all consistent with what I'm teaching tonight. It all explains that it's based upon this phase thing. So when you get to the top of the of the etheric world, uh, the phase is still in line with etheric time space. Still in line with that. And uh, you're completing it. You're you're working at the highest level possible if you're at the atomic level, which is terrific. But remember that it's not going to necessarily be that way in the astral world. The astral world has a completely changed, completely changed, even though, no matter what one you pick, uh, phase relationship. The phase of thought there is much more inclusive, even at the lowest levels. Although there are dark beings that create terrible havoc and make it worse if you go to the low levels. And the very lowest levels where evil itself resides. You can't even get in there unless you're evil. So, Or a master of the Angel's Wisdom could take you there for a brief journey. You would never want to go back. But And, and it's usually one time just to experience what evil is like. It's terrible. But the thing is that you can you can go to other places, but it's not easy. And what you experience is not going to be the greatest thing unless you have the right motives. And unless once your motives are right and you get there, that your actions are particularly right. Even with great motives, but wrong action, you're in bad shape. Terrible things can happen to you in the lower astral subworlds. So you need to understand it, the same principles apply but they become magnified by changing dimensionality. We have the most amount of freedom to do bad things while we're physically alive. If we do them while we're actually alive, there are many more consequences that happen much more rapidly. And it's a, so it isn't, a, it isn't a great thing. On the other side of the fence, if you get above most of the lower astral subworlds, people actually are far more conscious and then they are here, and they are, in general, more trying to reduce the forces they cause for others in their lives. That's the way they should be living, and they actually do live that way. But the higher you go, the more that that improves upon. The quantum constant changes in each one of these subdimensions considerably. The astral world goes up pretty much by threes, and it's pretty even. You might say, well, why is it so even in our world? Isn't it so even? Well, because the evenness is caused by the fact that you have a fourth dimension to time-space. Oh. And that is the direction of the motion of astral energy itself adds a whole new dimension. When you add an, an entire new dimension to things, it alters time-space radically. And so you have a very, very different outcome in each subworld, more different than you have while you're physically in this world. And so time-space is changing because you're increasing the number of dimensions, just that alone. And it becomes more, much more consistent. The consistency element is improved upon because of the fact that it's hugely 
greater. And so you end up with these fairly consistent breaks from each subdimension by a matter of a tripling, a matter of adding three, the number three isn't really tripling because you're adding three, three more levels, we'll call it, of the development of consciousness in comparison to the lower level and that much more in terms of time-space change. So the quantum constant grows enormously in the astral world, which it doesn't do here. It's very, very slight if you think about it in relative terms. Yeah, as soon as you get to the astral world, it starts off being three, and it goes three, six, nine, twelve, fifteen. Pretty much, uh, there are fractional differences, and that's because even parts of that specific plane have different kinds of people living in that plane, and that changes it from wherever you go. It gets too complicated because you can say, well, I'll go to the other side of the astral world. But if you go to the other side of the astral world, the people might be very different, and so you have a slightly different time-space number. It's just like that. And sometimes they gravitate together. Older people tend to be a bit more conscious. That's good, maybe. And when they when they are, if you go into that part of the world, uh, the time-space, the, the quantum conscious suddenly changes by a fractional amount, very small. But you can notice it. It's amazing. You can't, can't do that very easily here in the, in the, in the in the dense part or in the etheric part of, uh, of this plane. But you can see, you can experience it more because you're changing the time-space factor. Wow. And because of that, it's very obvious as you move from, sub, from subplane to subplane what the differences are in the consciousness of the people and the amount of forces that each person creates for others. And for themselves sometimes as well. So it's quite fascinating. So different people in different vicinities or different areas, it's quite large, of even the same astral subplane could have some uh, significant differences in the amount of forces that exist in that particular part of that subplane. Pretty amazing. Now, I wrote some stuff about this in Life and Meaning. I wrote a novel. It's not so much a novel, but some parts of the novel, uh, about it in another book, Life's, uh, uh, Life's Hidden Meaning. Not Life's Hidden Meaning, I'm sorry. I'll get it. Afterlife Love. Come on. Afterlife Love. And Afterlife Love is a, it's a kind of composite of experience with storytelling and the whole thing, but also science. I, I've really included a lot of what I'm explaining now in that book because it deals a lot with the astral and tells a lot about the astral because people want to know about that what happens when i die i want to know where i'm going well it isn't just where you're going but where you're going in where you're going <laughs> and how you apply yourself in that world that even has an effect on you because you might be with a different group of people who have somewhat different consciousness yeah it's really fascinating really fascinating okay so we in looking how time-space has changed now, we have, generally speaking, a whole change, gigantic change in the quantum constant. That means that all bets are off about what can and can't happen in time-space. And you can have very forceful parts in the lowest dimensions and extremely unforceful parts 
in the highest part. Like in the second and first astral subworlds, there's a tremendous reduction in force. And a because everybody there is working to reduce forces for everybody else. That you can't get there unless that is your actual not only agenda but function. If you don't function that way, can't be there. So sorry, Charlie, won't be won't be there. Oh, somebody could grab you and take you there for a few seconds or a minute or two, but you're not going to stay. You can't stay conscious. You you go and you disappear and you end up someplace else in the astral. So, and if you're dreaming there, and dreaming is where you're not really fully conscious. Uh, you're because you're not fully conscious. It really is of little, little benefit to anybody. Dreams can be helpful sometimes because we think back and say, well, that kind of taught me something. And that's part of the reason we dream. But we also dream because it shows where our selfish areas are, not in in an innocuous way, so that the the spirit in us can, can repair us fast enough so that when we awaken again, we're not as encumbered by dark energy, which is a good thing. It's if we didn't have that, we'd be overcome very shortly. And that's the reason why people act crazy and go crazy who don't dream, because they need that to refresh their conscious consciousness, and only sleeping in the astral world can do that for emotional issues. In the mental world, you dream so that you can increase truth and finding truth and wisdom and to get rid of your egotism and arrogance. So those things are more of a mental phenomena and uh, we almost need to get there right now because I'm running out of time. Uh, okay, I got it. So uh, the, the, the critical element here is that we're dealing with a, a physics that is way, way different. Once you're in the astral, way different, because you've added in another dimension of time space. Most people don't realize that. They think everything is mathematically just additive. That's not true. Dimensionally, as soon as you add another entire dimension, which, by the way, in theory and in reality, too, there's only real, really one dimension. When you reach the atomic level uh, in the etheric world, all the dimensions join together. So height, width, and depth all join together and become what is known as time, space, slash, thought. That's it. That's all you have. You don't have the things that we think you have here in terms of dimensionality. And that means that if you wanted to, at the atomic level of the etheric world, you could go anywhere in the etheric world on Earth in zero time. Zero time. Anywhere on Earth in zero time. You could travel at that un, uh, amazing speed of light. And as a matter of fact, it's faster than the speed of light is here. So instead of going around the Earth in a second seven times, you would go around the Earth uh, another 2.2 times that. So it would be closer to like over 15 times. At, I mean, these things get really amazingly different from what we're used to. Okay. So 
I'll leave that part because I can't keep going back to that. And now let's go and take a look at what happens if we look at the monastical. Now you're adding another whole dimension. Oh, another whole dimension. Wow, what's that about? Okay, well, uh, the middle world is the place, I, I find it the most fascinating place actually, but the middle world is the place where people live in what we call uh, the consciousness of of being able to construct time space from two types of thinking. One is called forms of thoughts. Forms of thoughts are examples or models of concepts. And that's in the lower mental world. And if you live in that part of the mental world, okay, then you could be anywhere up to about 90 times if you go to the very highest level of that, which is the fourth mental subworld, you could be 90 times, 90, the speed of light here. And you would also be, therefore, in a quantum constant that has grown by that same measure. That's a huge number difference. And that's just the lower part. That's the part where examples are. We call them forms of thoughts, and some people call them thought forms. And then the higher part of the mental world is where concepts exist. What is a concept? A concept is the idea behind the example of a thought. It's what makes those examples happen. So it's the real generation, general part of it. And it goes all the way on Earth at the present time to 960, 960 times what it is. Wow. Here on the atomic level of the etheric world. 960 times. It's a pretty big number. Guess what? That's not even the real number. It so happens that because we're in a non-sacred planet that has some real selfish things going on mentally in it, that it's hampered by that. And instead of being able to have consciousness that is just 960 times, uh, it could be as much as 1,056 is an exact number. The 960 is approximately, that's an exact 1,056 times greater than whew, here, than actually the etheric subworld, the atomic level. So that's, a, that's like a gigantic, huge difference. We're talking a lot of times. Now, why is that? Because you've added this other dimension. And the dimension creates a thing that we're familiar with. You know, we call it the truth. Uh, it's it's sometimes called the, the mental wisdom. There's a lot of words for it. But the most critical element about it is that when you reach that point, you now have reached as high as human beings generally 
thing. They can only think this way themselves, individuals. They can't think together this way while they're physically alive uh, unless, unless they are spiritually working together in that part of the mental world what we're talking about. And then they can actually gain from that, uh, that we'll say, connection. And we're also talking about being at the level of something higher than our own soul, amazingly. And that's a being that's like a super soul to us, but it actually is part of us. And that being is part of uh, uh, another kind of being, super, super being that uh, is our conscience in part, but it's much more than that to us. So all of this is coming together and uniquely it's creating a level of consciousness that is on the verge of being superhuman. You eventually become, if you reach the very highest level, the 10,000, the 1,056, you actually become super capable, super capable of thinking in terms of mental thought. You can join the three parts of it together, and the results are that you can actually join time-space to a, a level that is, for yourself, called intuitive. Now, intuitive thinking is the ability to bring as many concepts together as necessary to, cre to create love wisdom for all those that you are serving to reduce the forces in their life. So you, once you reach that level, you become onto yourself a great being doing that. But you can only really do it if you also do it with other people below that level in the world. Or as you get to the next world, the intuitional world, you can start doing it with others collectively together. And that is an amazing thing. It's not as controlled as it is for beings that actually live in the uh, in that part of time space. But it's close. I mean, you're getting some experience with it. That's called the rain cloud, knowable things. But that's, that's probably as far as I can talk about it tonight. But I do want you to realize that all of this is to reduce the forces in other people's lives, especially mental forces caused by arrogant and egotistical people when you get to the mental realm, which is much more difficult to do, by the way, than just astral stuff. And it has a lot to do with ageless wisdom in general and what the purpose of ageless wisdom is to all people. It's truly an experience within being with God. By the time you get above, above the mental world in consciousness, you're starting to experience God as a being in and of itself, different than just its, its character. You actually experience it as a real being. Well, we're out of time. Uh, I know we tried to get everything in we could. We're out of time for right now. So until next week, this has been Niles McFlower for Wildlife Is. <laughs>